And let's study the Bible together. Uh, James chapter 4, verses 1 through 6 is our aim this morning. So if you have your copy of God's Word, if you would open it with me. If you have your half sheet of paper, if you want to take that out, grab a pen. Hopefully I'll give you a few things that maybe you could write down on that piece of paper besides your grocery list or where you're going to eat afterwards. So James chapter 4, starting 1 through 6, if you would, if you would stand with me for the reading of God's Word, James chapter 4, 1 through 6. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, you can either turn it on your phone or there's a copy in front of you in the pew. So let's read this together. James chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Again, if you have your copy of God's Word, it's also on the screen. What causes quarrels and fights amongst you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace? Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Lord, would you allow your word to open our hearts this morning, that we would leave this place different than when we walked in. Lord, we love you, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. So this is our aim this morning. It's been a while since we've been back in the book of James through Christmas and New Year and all that good stuff. So we're going back. And if you remember, the Jews and are scattered through the dispersion, through persecution, all sorts of things have come. And so they are scattered. And we've just left James chapter 3, that a harvest of righteousness is sown by those who make peace. And that wisdom is from above. And the wisdom that's not from above is bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, not wisdom that is unspiritual and demonic. Is this kind of ringing a bell in the cobweb? webs of our brain. Remember this from way back when, the unspiritual and demonic things that come not from above. And so it's here that we get into what causes quarrels and divisions among you. And this is where we find ourselves. So let's ask the question, number one on your outline, what causes divisions and fights among us, right? And we're looking at believers, right? We're looking at Jews in the dispersion, those who are trusted in Jesus. What has caused fights and divisions among them? Now, let me give you a disclaimer, because as we read this, your natural inclination, as it was mine, is to look at what causes fights and divisions, and it's to say, well, it's them, right? It's not me. Surely. Mama told me it was not me, right? I'm good. It's them. They are the problem. If they just got it together, if they just stopped doing what they were doing, we wouldn't have fights and quarrels, right? I mean, seriously, it's them. And your natural inclination as we walk through these verses is to say, this is, it's not, it's not on me. if, if, If they just stopped. And I want to give you some silly examples, all right? Let's have a little... Let's have a liven up. I see some long faces this morning. So let's have a little, let's have a little joy in the house of the Lord this morning. Is everybody okay with that? I guess not. We'll just keep moving forward. Everything's going to be all right. All right, so here's the deal. I found uh, a church leader talked about some of the, the all-time lows in church history of fights in the church. And these are real, okay? And I just want to stop right now and thank you as a church that these have not been a problem in our church. 
Our church for 194 years has been downtown Montgomery and we're not a perfect church, but man alive, we have not fighted or fought and quarreled over all sorts of different things that have so little eternal value. So you all ready for this? This is staggering. And I want you to see how silly it is. One church uh, in getting and receiving new property adjacent to their church had a major fight and a split between two factions in their church. One faction wanted to reach the next generation and build a children's playground on the land, while another faction wanted to build a cemetery. Two very different directions for the life of the church, right? Y'all don't find that one funny. I think that's pretty good. (laughs) A secondary dispute that actually reaches close to me is a church dispute happened over whether or not to install restroom stall dividers in the women's bathroom. You'll get there. And, and I can tell you from my previous church in the women's bathroom, there were no stall dividers in the bathroom. Let's keep going, all right? Number three, an argument broke out in the worship center. One faction believed that they needed to install a clock for the benefit of the pastor, while another enjoyed the freedom of the pastor to continue preaching well beyond lunchtime. Another pastor... Another church had a petition that formed and caused division about having all church staff to be clean shaven. (laughs) I think my wife started that one. I don't know. (laughs) Another church had a dispute break out about whether or not to have the worship leader have his shoes on during the leading of worship. Another argument, and a lot of these stem from food, we're Baptists. An argument broke out about what type of green beans the church should serve, leading to a church split. I'm so sad that these are actually true. Another argument broke out in the church at the business meeting over whether or not they should be allowed to serve deviled eggs. Another disagreement again broke out because one church member wanted to call it a potluck, while another didn't believe that was right and they needed to call it a pot blessing. Another church fight broke out resulting in a major split because one church member hid the church vacuum from another church member. (laughs) And lastly, a church member was chastised and a chasm happened in the church because a church member brought vanilla syrup to the coffee bar and it looked too much like liquor. (laughs) Those seem silly, do they not? They seem silly. They seem insane that churches would fight and quarrel about the type of green beans served in a church. It seems silly that we could get to the point that we would fight and argue about calling it a pot luck versus a pot blessing. And the silliness of these types of things only amplify the reality of what we get to when we talk about what causes fights and quarrels amongst us. Because we can look and say, hey, if they would just serve my green beans, they're better. Their green beans are better. If they would just serve those, then we wouldn't have a problem. Yet at the same time, at times we hold such silly things so high. And so this morning, let's, let's dig in. Let's talk about what causes these fights and divisions amongst us. If you see, and I'm going to read what James is telling us causes fights and divisions. And so if your natural inclination is to say, it's not me, it's them, let's read what James has to say. He says, is it not this? Your passions are at war within you. 
I want to pause right there for a moment. What causes fights and divisions are not your passions at war within you. If you could think about a better language for James to use, I think it's war, right? Do you not feel on a constancy the warfare that we feel like we are in, in the world, but not even out there internally? As Jesus talked to his disciples and said, it, it, it's your flesh is willing, uh, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. There's the, the warfare that seems to take place even in our own souls for what we know is right, what we know is good, what we want to do versus what our flesh desires for us. And it feels like all out warfare in our souls to do what is right, but sin is crouching at the door. We feel that word is so good because we feel it. We live in a world that's waging war against what is right for morality in our souls. And so when when James writes, these passions are at war within you. And what does this passions mean? This word that James used, passions, is the same word that we get hedonism from. If you don't know what hedonism is, hedonism is a system or a philosophy of thinking that would tell you whatever makes you sad, whatever hurts you, whatever you do not enjoy, get rid of it and seek out the things that make you happy and that are pleasurable. And so if it hurts, get rid of it. If it makes you unhappy, get rid of it. If it makes you sad, get rid of it. If it is harmful, get rid of it. And if it brings you joy and happiness, and if it's pleasurable and entertaining, get it at all costs. It is not this, your passions at war within you, raging war within you. And again, I, I do recognize that there are situations and people and circumstances where when the Bible says live at peace so much as it depends on you, there are circumstances and times where that surely applies. But I think rather this morning than, than simply looking at this passage and saying if everybody else would just get it together, I wouldn't have so many fights and quarrels in my life. If they would just, if he would just, if she would just, if they would just, if they would just get it. But we have to recognize what James says. It is the passions that are at war within us. And when we look at these dumb church fights, can't you see, I mean, just forget about the green beans and start focusing on Jesus, right? I mean, we can easily say that. Who cares about the vacuum cleaner? Just come together, love one another, and serve Jesus together. But at times, these things that we hold so deep, man, these are my grandmama's green beans. They're the best, no, we don't serve French style. It's freedom style here. Like, we're not doing and we can hold on so tightly and it seems so dumb when we talk about green beans. But we hold unforgiveness, we hold jealousy and bitterness and all these things in our heart that disallow us from living at peace with one another even within the walls of the church. But I'm gonna give you just an openness to my heart here. You come to verse two and you say you desire and you do not have so you murder. And I wrestled with this passage this week because I, I, I struggled. In the church, you desire and you do not have. In this world, you desire and you do not have. So you, you murder? I mean, maybe we have that instance of Jesus when he talks about if you're angry with your brother, it's like murder. And so we feel that and there's an instance of that, that that is true in this text. But James is writing, yeah, you desire and you do not have, so you murder. What in the world, James? You see, and that happened a lot. And then... It's almost like the Lord took us to this Sunday and he said, what, what is, this is sanctity of human life Sunday. Do you not see the culture that we're living in? This verse 
beautifully plays out for what we are living in and seeing. This culture has told you, you desire the American dream, you desire happiness, and anything that would come and stand in your way, get rid of it. You desire wealth and happiness and freedom and joy, you desire autonomy, you desire all these things, and you do not have it because of this thing inside of you, and so you, what our culture has said is you get rid of it, you murder This culture that we live in is telling us, is telling believers, is telling the world, you desire, you want this American dream, you want happiness, you want freedom, you want autonomy, you want to do all these things, chase after all these things, and anything that stands in your way, even a child in the womb. And here we are on Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, looking squarely in the verse, James chapter 4, verse 2, seeing what our culture, the natural result of these verses taking themselves out to their natural conclusion. This is where we are. We desire and do not have, so we murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. I read a story about a pastor who was talking about this specific verse and he was talking about this little family cabin, this little family lodge that his family had and this long old log cabin that they would go out to and kind of retreat to, barely had plumbing, barely had electricity and he brought his son and his family out there and one night as his son was sleeping in this little bed over to the side and he noticed his son reaching up to the the ceiling half asleep, half awake and the son was starting to kind of whimper and kind of cry, reaching out for this thing on the ceiling and the pastor went in there knowing that, man, there's a lot, of, a lot of creepy crawlies and a lot of thing that happened in the night and this little log cabin. And so he was going to go help his son reach for whatever he had stuck up there. Maybe he had thrown a little thing up there. He was going to go help him reach for it. And he was whimpering and crying. And he was reaching with all of his might up to the ceiling to get this thing and calling out for his daddy and mommy. Mommy, help me, help me. And trying to get this thing. Dad walked into the room and was about to reach up and get this thing and noticed that it was a black widow spider just hanging up in the ceiling. That his son was reaching for, trying to grab it, wanting it so badly, crying out for it, calling for mommy and daddy, hey, help me get this thing. And of course, his dad walked in and immediately didn't give him this thing, but killed that very thing that would have killed him. And look at these, this verse, and you talk about you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You are asking for the things, the very things that will hurt and harm you and lead you even further further off the path which leads to number two James says you adulterous people and James is using some strong language in these verses we've gone from brothers and sisters I love your brothers and sisters to you adulterous people do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God so what does it mean to have friendship with the world let's pause for a moment what does it mean to have friendship with the world And I want us to see the severity of what this is talking about. If you have your pen for a moment, do do me a favor. It says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you not suppose that it's no purpose that the the scripture says, he who earns jealousy over the spirit. Therefore, God opposes the proud. Circle or underline three words for me. Friendship of the world, enmity with God, enemy of God, and God opposes the proud. I want you to look at those three words for just a moment that you've underlined or circled. I I can't think of any worse place to be as a human being 
than being at enmity with God, being an enemy of God, and God opposing you. I'm going to give you a little hint from Scripture. You may not know this. But if you're an enemy of God and God opposes you, you will not win that battle. Think for a moment. Enemy of God, enmity with God, and God opposing the proud. It's at this point, as you read your scripture, that you should say, whatever that is, I don't want it. Whatever that is to mean an enmity, the enemy of God, God in direct opposition to me, whatever that is, I don't want it. And here we are. Therefore, whoever wishes, whoever chooses, whoever desires to be a friend of the world. Can I tell you for a moment, we need to unpack what what does friendship with the world look like? For many years in our culture and in our world and in our country in the buckle of the Bible belt here for, for often the morality of our world in many ways mirror the morality of the church. Not perfectly. But for many years it was a time where as a believer we looked like the culture around us because we shared similar morality and structures. But every day they grow further and further at odds with one another. Every day that we live, the morality of the world and the morality of the church and Bible-believing Christians grows further and further at odds with one another. So we're living in a day and age where if we live the way that God has called us to live, there should be some stark differences between us and the world. And can I tell you further that our calling as believers is to the difficulty, the war that we're living in is we are called to live in the world, but be unstained by the world. This is tough. This is tough. We're called to live in the world, be and dwell and be a light in the midst of a dark world while not being stained by the world. We are not called to live in the church, to set up beds in the church to be a commune that we come into and we never leave this place. We go get food delivered to us and we just huddle into this place and we never leave it. This is not our calling. We are not called to live apart from the world. We are called as believers to go into the world and make disciples. We are called to let your light so shine before men. We are called out of this place. And therein lies the difficulty of our calling is we are called out there. We are called to live and dwell amongst people, but look and act as though we have been marked by the gospel of Jesus Christ, not by the world. And so the question would be, does our life look exactly like the people around us? Do we look like? Do we talk like? Do we act like? Do we buy and sell like? Do we play like? Do we find peace like? Do we find joy in? Do we celebrate and do we worship in the same times and same places as the world that is around us? Difficult questions. And here... uh, James writes, you adulterous people. Now, I want to quickly lock through number three because there's a lot here that we need to talk about very, very briefly. So strap your seatbelts. Let's roll together, okay? How is God jealous for my soul? If we talk about this, the friendship with the world, how is God jealous for my soul? 
We, we see in the dictionary that jealousy means resentment or bitterness because of a person's success or advantage. So is God bitter and jealous when we ascribe good things, when good things happen uh, to us? Is God jealous? Is this a negative thing? Is God sinning in heaven because he is a jealous God? I want to look for a moment at Exodus chapter 20 and Exodus chapter 32. I'm going to recite these for us. Or excuse me, not recite them. I'm going to retell them for us. Some of the most helpful passages, you know that the, the people have released from captivity in Exodus chapter 32, Moses is up on the mountain communing with God, receiving commandments and law. He's doing all good things there with God. And all of a sudden God tells Moses, hey man, you've got to go back down. The people have gone Looney Tunes. All right, they are, they've melted down their gold from their earrings. They melted down all their gold and a calf popped out. And now they're worshiping this calf. Can you imagine Moses saying, hold on, Lord, is this a joke? A calf? Where did a calf come from, right? Okay, and so God's anger is burning and Moses says, God, just relent of your disaster. Let me go down. And so Moses and, and Joshua go down the mountain and Joshua begins to say, Moses, I'm hearing laughter. I'm hearing yelling. I'm hearing battle cry. I'm hearing all these things. What's going on? And it's not cries of victory. It's not cries of defeat. And all of a sudden they come into camp and realize the people who have burned down their gold and are now worshiping. And they're not just, they're not sad. They're singing and dancing, worshiping this golden calf. Can you imagine God who's led the people out of captivity, who's provided manna and water and everything the people have needed, have now turned their back on God, melted down gold, and are not just worshiping this calf, they are singing and dancing and parading around full of joy. Does it not feel like what has happened in our culture sometimes? You, you, it's like we turn around and all of a sudden we're not just sinning, but we are joyfully singing and shouting and exuberantly proud of our rebellion. And here Moses comes down from the mountain and he sees the disgrace that's happening in the people who used to serve the Lord. And in Exodus chapter 32, 34, as, as the Lord's anger burned against the people's rebellion, in verse 34, chapter 34, somehow God says, and makes a new covenant with his people. He's slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Somehow this God watching his people burn down gold and worship and sing and dance to this golden calf. He reminds his people again in Exodus chapter 34. You shall worship no other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. He yearns jealously over the spirit that's within you. Like that father seeing his son reach for the black widow. He doesn't want you to take the thing that's going to kill you. He wants you to thrive. He wants you to have joy, fullness of joy, and peace in your heart and your life. He doesn't want you to die of the things that you're chasing after. He yearns jealously over your soul. He wants relationship with you. He doesn't want you to go to your own destruction. He doesn't want you to have the bite and the sting of death. He wants your soul that he has created and crafted since before you were born in your mother's womb. He knew you and crafted you. And so, of course, he loves you. He wants you. Psalm 1611, in your presence, there is fullness of joy. Your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And so, of course, the Lord who crafted you and created you yearns jealously over you. 
And so what do we get at the end of this? We can either wish to be a friend of the world or choose to be a friend of the Lord, to follow and trust in him. So at the bottom of your outline, the only way that I can conceive of how to do this is to go back to James chapter 3, to keep seeking wisdom that is from above. James 3 tells us, but the wisdom from above is pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. The only way I know to do this is to humble ourselves and seek wisdom from above, to navigate in the midst of this difficult world in which we are called to live. So let me pray for you. Lord, thank you for every person here, every person watching on stream and online. Lord, thank you. Would you bless them today with your wisdom? Would you bless them today with seeking after your wisdom recognizing the passions that are at war within each of us. So teach us, Lord, to seek after you, to long after you, to, to take delight in who you are. Or we're thankful for verse 6, but he gives more grace. This morning you give more and more and more grace that we have not yet found the end of. So bless us today as we trust in you. In Jesus' name that we pray.